This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another episode of the East Lansing Insider, a news podcast brought to you by East Lansing Info and Impact 89FM. My name is Andrew Graham. I'm joined today in studio with Emily, Joe, and Elliot, just like last week and a couple of times before that. Um, how are you doing, Emily? Good. Good. Finally I'm warm. Enjoy- it's, yes. It's actually, I'm no wood to knock on readily around me, but I actually do think it might be like we're fully into spring. We'll have a few chilly days, but I don't know that I think we're done with the snow. I'm going to. Here's the hope, bag. I'm going to. I will stake that bold claim on April 13th. <laughs> um but we're not talking about the weather here today, long term. We're talking about a discussion at City Council on Tuesday, April 12th at their discussion only meeting. And the discussion was about the city basically considering a moratorium on issuing or approving special use permits for fraternities and sorority houses in the city. This came after, I believe, one or two meetings ago. I can't remember precisely, but some public comment from... Ed Wagner from the Bailey neighborhood, Cindy Herfindahl from the Bailey neighborhood, and I believe Conrad Hitner, also of the Bailey neighborhood. I believe so. Um, and their general ask was that the city put a hold on allowing these fraternities to move in because their concern was as they would come online and be approved, they would then be approved by MSU for the sophomores off-campus exception to the on-campus rule, and that they would have effectively these sort of sophomore cluster group housing in their neighborhoods to potentially undesirable ends on their property value and enjoyment of life and other such things. And so council had a discussion to consider, should we consider doing a moratorium? Should we maybe not keep this going? And so they discussed it on Tuesday. We're discussing this Wednesday morning. So they discussed it last night. And Sue Webster and Aaron Carter from Michigan State University were there. Um, I cannot remember their exact titles off the top of my head. I will make sure to include them in the blurb or in the the post on Eli. But they are both admins from MSU. As Sue is sort of in a community liaison role, and Aaron Carter, Dr. Aaron Carter, is in charge of, I believe, um, sort of Greek life, fraternity, right. sorority life, that kind of thing. So very much their domain in this stuff. And watching back the video, I learned a lot i don't know you emily you haven't watched it so let's sort of spin it back and have you grill me a bit but i think it was sort of the first time there's been a public accounting or explanation or sort of forum from msu that i'm aware of i think it got discussed at the university student commission Mm -hmm. or something like that but they've kind of they've been answering questions about it but they haven't sort of had a press conference or you know come come out and said here's the whole deal with this Right. So I think just for some background information, which I could share before we move into (laughs) grilling you, is the university, primarily Sue Webster, Aaron Carter, and a handful of other people hold these community stakeholder groups. Yes. People from the city, like Tanya Williams, who's a resource officer. COVID, too. Yes. Those, Those groups started happening during the pandemic and sort of making sure students who were all of a sudden homebound, but Still homebound at their houses at their, in East yeah. Lansing, right. We're not just out partying all day during a pandemic right. and such. Yeah. You have, I believe, Jesse Gregg often attends them. So there has been this unofficial communication yeah. 
about the sophomores on, but it hasn't been in a public meeting. And I think there always are still questions that linger yes. after the meeting. So this is the first time. And then I think, Andrew, can you tell our listeners what the special use permit, what this, why the city had been requiring it and how MSU is now using that for its new policy? So it's, they're not directly tied together. It's mm-hmm. sort of what MSU is couching their what will allow you or what sort of what thresholds you have to meet to have your off-campus place that sophomores will live approved. Mm-hmm. And one of them is that it's it's an either or and it's either they have to have like a class six, class B. I can't remember. I'm not going to try and say I know it precisely off the top of my head, but either already held rental license or a special use permit and another type of rental license. Mm-hmm. Granted, the East Lansing housing code or zoning code, again, I'm not precisely sure which one it comes from off the top of my head, but it is in the Code of Ordinances that they basically fraternities and sororities have to have an SUP. That's something the city's been very lax about enforcing. Mm-hmm. They've sort of, as places have moved or like established a new fraternity in a house or a fraternity and sorority moves to a new house, then they might come before city council and get an SUP. But there have been numbers of cases that we've seen where a fraternity or sorority has just been operating without one with the letters, and then the city just kind of finds out and says, hey, come get your SUP, and they come right. and do it. It's not been a big deal. But now it does, presumably, into some level, tie into MSU's decision to allow sophomores to live off campus in one of these fraternities and sororities. So as far as I'm aware, there are a number of fraternities and sororities that have been approved for sophomores to live there starting fall 2022 that don't have SUPs because they've been established fraternities and sororities. They have their classics rental license. MSU's aware of them. The city's clearly aware of them. They've got letters like sort of. Right. There's no there's no ambiguity right. about what they are, what's happening there. So it, it isn't necessarily that they strictly need an SUP for MSU to allow this. You know, MSU could just decide, actually, we don't care about the SUP. Right. MSU does kind of have the ultimate power over how this gets adjudicated. It's their rule. But they've sort of pinned a little bit of it on what the city might do with any given off-campus housing. Yeah, the last council meeting we were at, we saw an SUP, I believe, get turned down. Yeah, and that was kind of very specific to that house about it was designed as a boarding house. It was for... (laughs) In the 20s, I think. Well, as any number of houses and buildings around here would be. So it just basically the, the idea that a fraternity would be living in what looked more like kind of an apartment boarding house and had kitchens and just wasn't designed for it. And 2-2 vote, tie tie goes to the nothing being done in government. So it just no action. So there is scrutiny, certainly, from the city side and coming from a member of council we will probably get to in the discussion (laughs) later on. So I believe it was... December 2020, MSU made this announcement that sophomores would be required to live on campus, referencing a rule, a policy from MSU in the night that had kind of been dormant since the 1980s. They've had the rule f- on their books for decades and just right. they just didn't, haven't enforced it. So yeah. they turned to enforce it, but then there's this exception for sophomores, uh, for fraternities and sororities. If you're a member and living in a Greek house, you could live off campus. So my understanding is 
the officials from MSU discussed why that exception was made? Was that did you glean a, any information? A little bit. It it strikes me mostly as the understanding that they kind of started by looking at could we reinforce or begin enforcing again the rule requiring sophomores to live on campus. And then as they were sort of examining what that would look like and what they might do, they they kind of got to the, well, what about fraternities and sororities in the reality that the houses for fraternities and sororities traditionally, and this was the case for me from what I learned at Syracuse, I was not in Greek life, but knew many people who were, that traditionally it's sophomores who live in the houses. Because mm-hmm. at Syracuse, there was a two-year on-campus housing requirement, and that was a way to not have to live in right. university housing your sophomore year, which for any number of reasons one might want to do. Cheaper, usually. And so there was this idea of, you know, if they had just said sophomores have to live on campus, all of a sudden you might create this weird void for who's going to live in the frats, because a bunch of juniors and seniors would have leases, or and sororities for that matter, too. So it they kind of had to interface with the idea of wanting to require sophomores to live on campus again with the reality that traditionally Greek houses are mostly sophomores Mm -hmm. and they kind of couldn't just say, well, now they're not. And then have a bunch of empty houses around town. It would be a very drastic and rapid change. And I think they were to some degree sensitive to that. And so the counter move or the, the compromise was creating this sort of carve out where they're not just saying, well, if you're in a frat or sorority, we don't care. It's the organization has to get registered and have their facility registered. And so, you know, the university knows it's safe and all mm-hmm. that. And they do that. There's some level of that anyways for with the inter, the Panhellenic Council and the IFC. Right. And I, again, I was not in a fraternity. I don't I don't pretend to be an expert on that sort of governance. So there there is a level of oversight baked into it and the enforcement of the rule at large allows them to create, through even this exception, more control over fraternities and sororities because you're saying, like, you're being exempted from this rule now, not just, well, that's you get to do this. It's, yeah, you get to do this because we're letting you. And I think that reality is more reinforced because the university kind of technically always was. Mm-hmm. But now they're just kind of laying out with their rules and the changes, it kind of becomes clear that, no, we really were just letting sophomores live off campus, and now we're not, but we'll let this group because we understand sort of the reality we're up against. Right. So MSU is requiring the Greek houses and co-ops. So these are non-Greek organizations. Any, so yeah, we, we, I, we talk about this in the lens of Greek houses because that's the orgs that are able to mm-hmm. attain this, and that's kind of, those are the majority of organizational group housing off campus. Right. Outside of them, it's, really kind of just the co-ops is the only other notable one that I'm aware of and that I see you were an MSU grad student and instructor at various points co-ops and Greek houses pretty much are, as far as I'm aware are the only sort of organizationally sanctioned group housing you know friends and groups yes. and whatever like a Spartan ski team might all a bunch of them live in a house there but they're was... not like this is the house we as a Spartan ski team owns a this property and right. this house is registered and we, you know, have insurance, which is another point we can yes, get to. Yes, that's what I was going to yeah. get to is the SUPs are required, but then there's also this MSU is requiring these group housing things, whether co-ops or Greek housing, 
to have insurance. So can you tell us a bit about that and then the yeah. implications for Greek houses and co-ops? So basically what the university, what MSU is requiring of the any facility to be approved for as an RS, it's a registered student organization facility, RSO facility, is that they have, along with being in fire inspection, all that safety, you know, bureaucracy, that they also have liability insurance. Mm-hmm. And according to Sue Webster at Council, this came from the university's risk adjuster and general counsel. And it basically it's, I think, one mil, up to $1 million of liability coverage for a single incident and then up to $2 million in a single year, right. I think, are the, the minimum thresholds. And, I mean, that's basically so if something happens at one of these houses the university won't ba- like part of it is the university will not be directly held accountable for what happens in off campus houses right it's it's kind of this odd way for the university to take more control over what's happening in off campus houses while still not facing ultimate culpability right in terms of going to court of if you went to a hypothetical frat party and i i will use this example because it got brought up and i'm not you know they were talking about if you know there was a sexual assault or somebody there was got drugged or hurt in a fight or you know any number right. of things that you know a, a party or something at one of these places that basically the university wouldn't end up getting held accountable for that because it's not in right. their realm truly because i mean it is citizens in East Lansing in terms of the eyes of the law. So I get that. And this is where George Brookover comes into the picture, who in his sort of classic lawyerly, he really wasn't like getting after Sue and Aaron for they are not making these decisions, those two unilaterally or anything Mm. like that. But he, his point was basically one that it kind of seemed like the university got out over their skis a little bit on this one. And that was something um, Mayor Ron Bacon echoed. And that to some level, the burden of this is being or the burden of patrolling, policing, keeping a lid on this to some degree is being put on the city of East Lansing still because city of EL has got to respond with fire, police, paramedics, whatever it might be. And it was kind of funny. He asked during the meeting, he goes, so did is MSU given the city like a million dollars or something to pay for these services? Um and the the counter back from uh, Sue and Aaron was that they're not actually asking ELPD or MSU or e- MSU is not asking ELPD or anybody to do anything more necessarily. What MSU is going to do is follow up more on the information they get from ELPD and ELFD and so on. I might be willing to call that claim out a little bit at the moment, not because I don't think it's true that they don't get information or that they aren't intending to, but I talked to Sue Webster and Anthony Williams, who is Dean of Student Affairs, effectively. That's not his full title, but that is what most people would right. have in their brain of what he does, um, and like student rights and responsibilities and stuff like that, or that might be Fanny Gore. That's where where my brain starts to run into who's who. But they explained that they're going to create a system with ELPD to share, you know, here are all the tickets because there's a okay. self-reporting. I followed up with ELPD and they said, we haven't heard from them and set anything up yet. So that's not to say, you know, the fall, again, it's April, fall 2020 semester begins in August. I'm not trying to be glib, but there's still time and it 
what we're talking about in terms of an information sharing system here is a spreadsheet emailed weekly or monthly. So it's right. not like something that needs months of study and work. It's just, hey, these are the addresses. If there's a citation issued at these addresses, we need to know about it. Can yeah. you just make sure? But that is still going to be extra work it's... for ELPD on some level at some point. I see both sides on this because from the MSU perspective, these Greek houses had existed. If you know, someone drank too much. surprised that these places are here. They've right. been here all along. The exactly. police and the fire department and paramedics were all responding to various issues before this. They are. Have been right. right now, probably like not this, this moment, but, but yeah, this week <laughs> to, I'm sure. To date, yes. Um, St. Patrick's Day was about a month ago, right? Right. But then, from the ELPD perspective, sure, providing that information they put out to the public, a weekly use of force report. Yeah, it's not like a secret or anything, right? But I know ELPD is struggling with staffing right now, and any extra administrative task I do think is it's a, going it's to require it is energy. Some hours of work. I don't know that it's a lot of hours of work but it is some hours of work that right. somebody's going to have to do to make it happen and that some at some level that somebody has to be an ELPD and i think that was kind of the point that Brookover was making here of you know in MSU's move of sort of moving unilaterally on this because they can relative to the city and kind of getting going and maybe not having these conversations until now they're in a position where they've kind of made these decisions that are having these knock-on effects, and the city council is in a position where they can't really advocate for, well, that's going to put our city police in a pinch. They're in a position where they can complain about, right. well, our city police is going to be being put in a pinch by that. The operations got maybe a little bit of out of order, and that, I think, was part of why that conversation was happening in general at Tuesday's meeting. Right. I just don't think, you know... MSU is not beholden to the city of East Lansing. You know, MSU, nobody's elected at MSU directly, really, who runs the university except the board of trustees. But that's a statewide election. Right. And so it's not like MSU is beholden to the voters of East Lansing in any way. But they are still part of the community. So I think it's sort of that balance of they can do what they can do. But if part of this whole deal is, you know, we can make this off-campus behavior better and these sophomores can be better members of the community living off-campus and there could sort of be this better town-gown relation. They kind of started it by going about it in the old-school way where there's no town-gown relation and they just do something and people kind of learn to live with it. So right. it's kind of it's kind of almost you know parody of themselves, everybody here, and the, well, we want to improve relations and so we did it by doing the thing we think will improve relations and <laughs> not... And then the city gets to run and jump on the back of the bus. Right. And... and so it's, I don't think, I think all of the intents were good. And I don't think that, you know, this is going to be some disastrous thing. I don't want to, you know, or anyone's relationships are broken right. or anything like that. But I just think it's a, it's another good kind of microcosm of how, because MSU can get just kind of make a decision and go with it, the knock on effects they have and how, what it seems like the city would have wanted is more more of at least a voice if not a vote in that discussion right. on the front end about actually deciding to do it right so the conversation in my understanding last night was to focus on whether or not the city should put a moratorium on approving yes. these special use permits how many more SUPs are going to be coming through the pipeline for council to consider so as of now none 
or not many. Uh, okay. None that we're, I'm aware of. There's, as Aaron Carter explained it, from MSU's end, they've basically dealt with all the ones that they would deal with for the upcoming mm-hmm. academic year because their sort of certification approval application process goes through the this current semester for the upcoming fall. And right. Be, in 2022 spring, they'll do the same thing for Got 2023 it. fall. And I would assume getting like reapproved is easier than original or you know, whatever. Right. So the way she said it, I think there were only three houses that could have applied at this point who didn't something I, I wasn't quite sure of what the denominator and what the numerator right. was but there's only like three or four more that they would expect to potentially apply outside of the co-ops because they their whole deal is that they can't afford the liability insurance right. right now and that's a sort of longer term problem or problem to be solved with the university and them and you know it seems they want to find a solution but they don't have one yet mm-hmm. so for the Greek houses, kind of lost my plot there, getting on the co-op tangent. We were talking about how many SUPs Correct. council could expect. My apologies. Not many is the the bottom line answer there. And so MSU, their indications, Aaron and Sue, is that there aren't any more really coming from this cycle. They said that I don't think, I think the phrase Aaron uses, there's no backlog. So... Actually seems like they more or less kind of moved through them all in one kind of blow. Right. And so at this point, you know, the city could go ahead with the moratorium, but it wouldn't. The cat's out of the bag, basically. Right. They're not going to stop many more when a majority are seemingly already approved. Right. Um. So what were some of the concerns, though, that various council members voiced about just Greek life and housing in the community. Cause I think although the moratorium might not achieve what council thought is like stopping problems, what were the problems they were hoping a moratorium might solve? Well, I think it was, I don't think they were realistically going to do a moratorium mm-hmm. just some sort of reading the tea leaves of like the reality of the situation. Right. And I think, the consideration of the moratorium was as it was both maybe a bit of an olive branch to the people in the community who are reasonably like concerned and right. potentially upset about you know if you had a frat moving into your neighborhood you would probably feel some ways about it i am right. certain anybody would and good or bad it would i would just i cannot imagine being wholly ambivalent about that mm-hmm. and so i think it's a bit of an olive branch to those people and it's also it was a bit of a way to f- kind of force this discussion that did happen, whether that was intended or not. Right. Um, but it did lead to this sort of insightful kind of open discussion about what exactly the goal is here, what MSU is sort of their perspectives and how they're approaching it and both how they can kind of do better. And like just it, it got the issue out in the open with both city stakeholders and principals and MSU sort of people who actually have some real swing and sway. I'm not, again, Sue and Aaron do not come and make unilateral decisions, but they have seats at the table at MSU and are people who, you know, it's, they're not just there to provide lip service. They have real like roles and can sort of go back and actually hopefully advise and inform the process with like what they take away. So I think the moratorium on an, on SUPs for, fraternities and sororities itself was not something that I ever 
thought was really going to happen, nor would it be a huge sort of thing in all actuality if it were done, because like Aaron Carter noted, most of them have gone through and that's not going to stop fraternities and sororities from necessarily operating in East Lansing. It would have maybe stopped MSU in a few cases from allowing sophomores to live in a couple of fraternities at once we got to this point. So the discussion in the meeting kind of became, or it it kind of became evident that that wasn't going to do anything or wasn't, didn't serve the maybe purpose that was, it could have eight months ago or 20 years ago. I mean, who knows? Right. So, the I don't expect there to be a moratorium. Um, it just doesn't seem like there will be much efficacy to that in general. So I think there's still an appetite to get a hold of what's going to be happening here and to make sure that, like, MSU is kind of holding up their end of the bargain because it certainly seems like the city is intent on holding up their end and, you know, making sure that quality of life for year-round residents is not notably affected by theoretically a bunch more sophomores being kind of crammed into different places. That's kind of what I wanted to get at is when we had the three community leaders from the Bailey neighborhood, can you maybe outline the specifics of what they were concerned about? So one of the issues was about parents buying houses and letting their students live there. So that's kind of a separate, put put that one off to the side for now. And then the other two, Conrad Hitner from Bailey had some very specific points about the types of housing being converted into fraternities and basically the like rights of police to search and come in and oh common yeah the space. famous line from Chad Connolly that, that we we're rarely usually, invited rarely are in. we invited in <laughs> which is unsurprising so Conrad Hitner also kind of had some very granular specific points and then Ed Wagner had he was reading a letter that the Bailey neighborhood association board right sent in and basically they were the ones who were sort of like we maybe pump the brakes and let's figure out what's going on and their just general concern was i believe one or two frats now we're moving into the bailey neighborhood that the one on ann street that would have been there that got yes. nixed at that same meeting would have been and that's the bailey neighborhood and so they were concerned about frats moving into where they live to have a bunch of sophomores live in them, which if you lived in a place year round and someone told you 40, 19 year olds are going to move in next door. You might have concerns. I would understand maybe wanting to do something to prevent that. So that's kind of the, the, the core of the concern, but it seems like at this point there's not much the city can do about that. So Got it. We came um, to talk about the moratorium, and the bottom line is it's not really about the moratorium. Right. So <laughs> something that caught my eye is that Sue... You were trying to ask me another question, and I was ready to get to the intro because we're out of time. Sorry. No, we... It was a good chat, Andrew. I did not follow my usual uh, time warning practices. I was just kind of doing it on the fly, so I apologize for... I gave Emily the, the, the neck throat slit, <laughs> cut it off, we're out of time, so... That is really, truly all we have time for. We could keep going. There's plenty more to discuss, and this issue will be, I am certain, discussed at length further, and there will be more to come on it. So, Emily, thank you very much for joining me. Um, And this has been another episode of the East Lansing Insider, brought to you by Impact 89 FM and East Lansing Info. My name is Andrew Graham, and thank you for listening. 
East Lansing Insider is brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. We are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.